What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transform. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and I have the privilege of getting to be your host. And we are in the middle of a series on mental health and mental illness and understanding our diagnoses and psychotropic medication. So I I hope that the start of this has been helpful to you. This is the third episode of what will most likely be about a seven-part series. And as you've seen, I've tried to just slow down a little bit and give you practical tools. So I know this is going to span the better part of a month, maybe a month and a half. But I do think that these are integral steps to be able to help you understand the mind versus the brain. In all reality, if one in five people are being diagnosed with a mental illness, we at some point have to pause and ask, and what is the mind? And how does the mind get sick? What you may recall from last episode is a summary of the mind, a biblical treatment of the mind. If you haven't heard it yet, I would encourage you to go back to last episode. Actually, listen to that before you listen to this episode. But in sum, the mind is immaterial. It is not the brain. When we talk about the mind, we are talking about an immaterial reality. The Old Testament and the New Testament are both using the mind in the sense of a faculty of intellectual perception. It typically corresponds to thoughts, reason, attitude, dispositions, opinion, volition. Just remember the silly illustration. If I were to tell you that I'm going to give you a piece of my mind, you would understand that to be more like I'm sharing my opinion or my thoughts with you. So that modern understanding of mind is actually closer to what the Bible says than a lot of what psychiatry and psychology will say the mind is, which is closer to that of the brain. So today, we are going to talk about the brain and understanding the brain biblically, and where does the brain fit in all of this? So today is going to be understanding the brain. The next episode, I would actually like to talk about how mental illnesses are diagnosed. And some of you know that. I don't have to tell you how a mental illness is diagnosed. You have been diagnosed with one or your children have been diagnosed with a mental illness. So I hope you'll continue to stay tuned to next week's episode. So let's get into it for today. Now, big picture, when we consider the brain, I would like you to see that the Bible actually has a semantic range to be able to use different terms. So last episode, mind. Mind is used. Mind is used of Darius. Mind is used of the craftsmen who were building the tabernacle, the mind is used. Now we're going to see places in the New Testament where there is a range of words that are chosen, and those words could be used for mind, but instead they're spoken of as outer man or outer person. So grab your Bible, if you can, flip with me to 2 Corinthians. Let me start by framing a couple of things. One of the things that we're going to see in 2 Corinthians is a helpful category by Paul. And Paul is talking about his ministry. 
verse 3. He's a minister, excuse me, chapter 3, minister of the new covenant. He talks about the superiority of this new ministry, that through the work of the Holy Spirit, a person is transformed, chapter 3, verse 17. We talked about that way back at the beginning of our series altogether on transformed. And then when you move into chapter 4, you're seeing the different aspects of this. So in verse 7, we have treasures in these jars of clay to show that the power doesn't belong to us, but belongs to God. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Consider this. When we are in difficult times, persecuted, struck down, forsaken, that's verse 8, verse 9, into verse 10. Why do we not lose heart? Verse 16. Well, our outer self may be wasting away. But the reason we do not lose heart is because our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's Paul's statement here. For all of us who are aging, i.e. everyone, some of us don't feel it as fast as others do. We're all aging. We recognize the outer person is wasting away. We recognize the new wrinkle. We recognize memory loss. We recognize limitations and capacity. Our outer person is wasting away. And one of the results of the effects of sin is that we live in a fallen world, and that fallen world brings with it aging, and aging corresponds to death and physical death. So theologically, we know when Adam sinned, death entered into the world, and there is a physical death that corresponds with that. And that physical death brings about, verse 16, the wasting away of the outer self. Now, just to be most precise, biblically and then theologically, A helpful way to understand your physical realm, your physicality, is to say outer person, outer person. So if it can be touched, it's outer person. (laughs) I'm saying it like that because naturally I'm assuming that there are certain organs that you don't want to touch that you possess. You know, honestly, I never want to touch my lung. I'm pretty sure I have two of them, although I've never seen them, just to be clear. I don't even know if I've ever had a chest x-ray. I'm sure I've had a chest x-ray at some point, but I've never touched my lungs, but I don't want to touch my lungs, but they can be touched. What is that? Outer person. So don't think like exoskeleton. Think my entire body is outer person. So instead of my lung being inner person, think my outer person is my lung because it is physical. It has a physicality. That is what is wasting away, the outer person. Whereas Why does Paul not lose hope in this ministry, though he does face light momentary affliction? And we might even speculate how light is it really, Paul? Paul endured some significant persecutions, mistreatment, beat so bad they thought he was dead at one point. Paul endured some significant challenges, and yet he says it's light momentary. Why does he endure that so well? Because he knows that his inner person is actually growing to be like Christ, even though his outer person is wasting away. So categorically, what is your brain? First of all, your brain is your outer person. It's part of the organs of your body. Biblically, what is that? Your outer person. So starting at a broader category, 
I want you to see that when we talk about the brain, we are talking about your outer person. Next, grab your Bible, Matthew 27. We're going to see in Matthew 27 that Matthew actually uses a term, and the term shows us Matthew has the ability to say cranium, brain, skull, and yet there are going to be obvious times where he does not employ that, but is speaking of the mind, which is something different. You're familiar with the title Golgotha. Uh, maybe you're even more familiar with the, the Calvary songs, On a hill far away. Yeah, we are familiar with Calvary, Golgotha. It is the site of Jesus' crucifixion. So verse 32 of Matthew 27, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Okay, so what is Simon of Cyrene compelled to do? carry Jesus's cross to a location called Golgotha. And then your Bible will most likely have a parenthetical note there. The parenthesis is not in the original text, but it's a helpful way to just see this is more like a parenthetical statement, which means or which is understood to be place of the skull. That term skull is actually the original term cranion. Now, there's, there's different possibilities for why it's called that. Number one, maybe it physically looked like a skull. And I've seen different pictures and manners and customs books where it's a, a picture of quote-unquote Golgotha. When you go to Israel, there are traditional sites where Golgotha might be. But there is also a possibility that this is called the place of the skull because this is where people were executed. So I don't think you have to take a, a clear and dogmatic stance on either of those. You just say, look, what's interesting here is Matthew can say cranion. He can say skull. Now, we're not saying, okay, Matthew, we're so proud of you. You can say cranion. Why does that matter? Because if Matthew wanted to say noose or mind, he could have said that. But instead, he chooses skull. The biblical authors have the semantic range to say outer person, skull. So inner person, they also have the semantic range to say that. So before we're like, well, they didn't know, maybe they weren't as clear about science. They didn't know how the inner person, outer person works. That's not true. Biblically, that's not true. Perhaps they even had greater clarity on the division between outer man and inner man than we have. So yes, Matthew shows us something, that there is a place of the skull, not the place of the mind. The skull is a term that Matthew can employ. All right, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 10 and see him speak more about the hairs of our head. We will be right back. And we will be back in just a moment, as Dr. Gifford said, for the second half of his conversation on the mind and the brain. But before we get back to him, I wanted to take just a moment to share some resources that you'll find on our website at transformed.org. Given our discussion on the mind and the brain, I want to share one book in particular that can help with something that I believe a lot of Christians 
are struggling with these days, and that's assurance. Resting in God's Salvation by William P. Smith is a book that you'll find at transform.org. There's a section in the book on anxiety where Smith talks about how we are not made to carry anxiety in our hearts. He says anxiety happens when we refuse to release our cares into the capable hands of God. And then he cites the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5, where he says we are to cast all of our cares and all of our anxiety onto God. And this book has a lot of wisdom that helps anyone struggling with assurance or anxious thoughts. And again, I think there's a large portion of Christians today struggling with assurance. And we get emails about it quite frequently. And you can grab this book, William P. Smith, Assurance, Resting in God's Salvation. You can pick it up at Transformed. Dot org. And hey, while you're there, listen, producing this radio show and our other resources require major effort and investment. And that's why we would love to have your partnership. We would love for you to join us and consider supporting us to help us continue to sustain and expand this outreach. When you become an ongoing monthly gospel partner, that means that you can directly enable life change through God's truth. Just visit transformed.org to find out all of the details on how you can partner with us by becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. And finally, for those of you who have an interest in biblical counseling and and beginning training to become a biblical counselor, well, I would love to recommend to you Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp. It's one of the most profound books ever written, and not just in the biblical counseling sector, but just written in general. Tripp says in the book, it is the Redeemer who humbles us so that we can be patient, loving, wise, caring, and fundamentally useful counselors. An important reminder that all true change is the work of the Holy Spirit as we steward the gospel. You can find this book and other tools to becoming a biblical counselor right now at transformed.org. Now let's get back to the second half of our show today with Dr. Greg Gifford. This is Transform. Welcome back to Transform. The world's definition of beauty is simply not found in the Bible. Instead, the Bible informs us that true beauty is defined not by this world, but by God Himself. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Thank you, Jimmy, for your kind words and helping resource us. I do commend to you the store, transform.org tinker around. When someone asks me for resources, which comes in pretty regularly, I'll just kick them the link to Transformed and say, hey, check it out. Check out the resources here because I can trust what's on there. Amazon just has everything, but Transformed, there is a level of vetting that we go through to put resources onto this store. All right, so let's go back, back to the text. What have I said so far? that the biblical authors actually have the range of terms to be able to say skull. We see that with the place of the skull. Paul uses the idea of outer person, outer man. Now I want you to go to Matthew chapter 10. When you get to Matthew 10, remember the context here, verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In the context of persecution, Jesus brings comfort and he says, don't have fear. God is the one that will ultimately avenge Romans 12. 
God is the one that will ultimately make right, and you are safe in God's will and his providence. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your, here it is, listeners, are you paying attention? Verse 30, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. There is a term that is used here, accurately translated as head, and it is a reference to your physical head. Think of a bobble head. Think of me combing the hairs on my head. Think of you getting a haircut with the hairs on your head. This term, head, is your physical head. Now, there are places in the scripture where this term, same term for head, is more of a representative of power or authority. So, Jesus is the head of the church. Well, technically, we don't mean that the church is physically a body and Jesus is the cranium of the church. Uh, What we mean is that he is the authority. And that's going to apply even to husbands, that a husband is said to be the head of his wife, that there is a role of leadership that he is to take. Same term, same term that's used. So here we know that he's talking about the physical head because the peace that he's attempting to bring and the comfort that he's attempting to bring to those that are facing persecution is to say, don't worry, even the hairs of your head are numbered. That should bring great peace. God the Father knows you so well that he knows how many hair you have on your head. Okay, now what are we talking about here and why does this matter? Matthew has the ability to say place of the skull, head. And yet when he says mind and when the biblical authors say mind, they know that they are not saying head, they're not saying skull, they're not saying outer person. So when you begin to create this division, what takes place is you see the biblical authors actually have clarity that the mind is not the brain and the brain is not the mind. Let me read for you a summary statement that would help us conceptualize more of what we mean by the brain. The brain would be core to any other organ in your body, which the Bible would state is your outer man in general. Lungs, kidneys, fingers, legs, all of those are part of our outer man, our outer person. So the term outer man is used in different places throughout the Bible. And this is how I want you to think about the organ of your brain. You are talking about a physical reality, an outer man issue. Now go back to some patients I had from Dr. Stephen Hyman at the White House conference in the late 90s said that these are real illnesses of a real organ, the brain, when speaking about mental illnesses. You can look it up for yourself. You're going to see it in a forthcoming book that I'm working on. Dr. Hyman says that mental illnesses in the June, I believe it was 1999 White House conference, are real illnesses of a real organ, the brain. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Clifford Whittingham beers. Wait a minute. Biblically, we have to slice those in half and say, uh-uh. Clifford Whittingham beers, as you may recall from the first episode in this series, he says that mental hygiene is going to be medical doctors 
in psychiatry, schools of psychiatry that begin to use medical treatment for the mind. Just to be clear, you cannot medically treat the immaterial. You can medically treat the brain, and you should medically treat the brain. Let's pause there for a second. When you think about the organ of your brain, just like any other organ, it can be damaged. I once was meeting with a gentleman who was a police officer directing street traffic at an intersection. Car runs through the intersection and hits him. Um, Obviously, significant problems came through that, but what's called a traumatic brain injury came through that. So through the traumatic brain injury, the organ of his brain was damaged. I mean, this is what a concussion is, essentially, and, and some of you have been concussed, mostly through sports, sometimes through car accidents and so forth. You get hit, actually hurt the organ of your brain. It's very possible to damage the organ of your brain. And that damage to the organ of your brain, it will affect the expression of your mind. But do recognize that just because you have brain damage doesn't mean that you have mind damage. Those are not the same thing. So when I spoke on this topic recently, I had six, seven people maybe come up afterwards and say, but what about Alzheimer? What about dementia? What about those? And I say, yes, those are issues not of the mind, but issues of the brain. And it is very possible that the brain can have some deteriorating organic illness, very possible. But that is different from saying that it is a mental illness. So what if you had a traumatic brain injury like this gentleman did? Then it might actually affect the expression of your cognition, which is your mind. Your brain is the conduit that affects the mind's expression. But even if you had brain, we can know that you're mentally lucid and you're mentally present. There are individuals that do not have the ability to speak. They are mute, and yet they mentally are sharp, and they're mentally tracking with us. Say the organ of the, of the brain is damaged is not the same thing as the organ of the mind, because there is no organ of the mind. The mind is immaterial. So the cultural confusion that has begun to take place is leading experts and the beginning of the field of psychiatry in America and the beginning of mental health in North America can all be traced back to the confusion of the mind and the brain. So when you understand this, listeners, what it brings with it now is a clarification. Another quote, this is just something that I drafted to help us better understand. So the brain is not the mind. The mind is not the brain. The authors of the Bible don't see them this way, nor should you. The hairs of your head or the place of the skull are tips to cluing us into the fact that the authors knew exactly what they were talking about. So for Paul to say that the mind needs to be renewed, he was indeed aware of the outer man when he said mind. Remember Romans 12, Romans 14, 5, Paul uses the term mind in both of those. He could have said the outer man needs to be renewed, but he intentionally and accurately and we would even say under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, said mind. So what do we do with the understanding of the brain? We must see it as the outer person. And what do we do with the mind? We must see it as the inner person. So this is going to set us up for the next step. 
if you're okay with this, if you're okay with my exegesis, if you're okay with what I'm saying, then when we come back for our next episode, I am going to begin to share with you, and I'm not even going to, I'm just going to be as black and white as I can. I'm going to begin to share with you how psychological and mental illnesses are diagnosed. Okay, we begin to use medical terminology to talk about the mind. And what you're going to see is that there is a lack of validity. There is a lack of empirical verification for mental illnesses and mental disorders. And yet sometimes we see them as organic illnesses of an organic problem, i.e. the brain. So thanks for bearing with me. This might be one of those episodes that you want to rewind and listen to or listen to parts again. I am more than open to clarifications as you guys are writing in, so I hope that this is something that sharpens you. But really, the clarification should come at, what does the Bible say first? And then let's get to how mental illnesses are diagnosed or how we should think about psychotropics. So let me pray for you guys, and we're going to be done for today. Lord, I do thank you for the listeners. I thank you for the way that they have engaged. Uh, I pray that you in some way would allow me to be helpful to their own thinking. Uh, Some of us have been confronted with this, this idea of mental illness personally, and others are being confronted with our kids and our grandkids. Lord, it's tricky because we don't want to reject helping people. And yet sometimes we wonder if accepting mental health and mental illness terminology really is what helps people in the end. So give us clarity through your word so that we could be genuinely helpful to people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, a production of Gospel Partners Media. Our website, of course, is transformed.org, and it is your central hub for finding in-depth information on all things transformed. If you've enjoyed Transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford, consider subscribing and sharing with your friends and church family. Also, would you prayerfully consider joining this labor of love by becoming an ongoing monthly Gospel Partner? And until next time, go serve your King. 